welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to the show. This is episode 224, and this is Paula Jenkins. I am so excited to be here with you all on Jumpstart Your Joy this fine Tuesday, and excited to have Casey Jordan joining me in just a little bit as our guest for this week. Casey is a business strategist extraordinaire, and she works with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs as they navigate getting their businesses up and running. As you know, January is the plan your year month, and I'm really excited to be looking at this topic in depth across the eight episodes that will be out this month. And so it's a real treat to have Casey joining me because we're going to talk about some of the foundations of your business, and we touch on both the practical and the personal side of being an entrepreneur. So it's really exciting. Casey's done some really interesting work around the pursuit of evolution and how change is a part of everything that we do. Before Casey comes on to join us, I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in this week and always with Jumpstart Your Joy. Of course, it is a podcast uh, that comes out now Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we look at the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to have more joy in your life. It's a real joy to be doing the show uh, now in its fifth year. So for each month of 2020, I'm going to be looking at a different theme and how it relates to joy. This month, January, is plan your year. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at some of the foundations of business, especially if you're starting one up for yourself, which is really fun. I know I did not have a background in the entrepreneurial space, and many of you maybe didn't as well. And so how do you tackle this thing that you know you want to do, but you don't maybe have a background in doing? And so it's really fun to have Casey come on and talk about that in just a little bit. The other things that we're doing about plan your year this month, if you are not already on the newsletter, you're going to want to get on there. I send out an email each Thursday, which is all about the three things that I find inspiring or an aha moment that I've had around the theme that the guest and I talk about. This week's going to be a really good one. I'm excited to share it on Thursday, but you need to be on the newsletter to get it. Those are super secret episodes only by subscription. And on Friday the 17th, I will be doing a free workshop online and we're gonna be doing a 10 in three together, which one of my favorite planning tools on figuring out what are my priorities over the next three years and what do I wanna focus on for this year? It sets you up for a great amount of success over the next three years and we'll talk about mindset around that too. You'll get to hang out with me for an hour. So sign up for the newsletter at jumpstartyourjoy.com and you'll get all the information right there. So I'm really excited about this interview with Casey. She is a true delight and it was a treat to get to meet her as well. This interview has a lot of juicy, good things in it. What I really love talking to Casey about is we do have a very similar path. At one point, we both studied or were a part of religious studies, and uh, she wanted to be a minister. We also talk about a transition from nine to five and how you kind of find your way. Both of us have a background in coaching. Hers was fitness coaching, mine's is life coaching. How do you find your way into a business if maybe specifically coaching isn't the thing that you want to do and you're looking for something that you can use those skill sets with and also bring about your very own business that has your your thumbprint on it? 
We've also both, we have both also suffered from PTSD. She is a veteran from the Iraq war and also given Purple Heart there after a roadside bombing went off. And she talks a little bit about that with us. And then we also talk about kind of the small steps that you can take to bring your business to life or to get back on track if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed out. So totally honored to have Casey here. And I hope you guys love her as much as I do. Okay. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Would you like to tell us about what you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? I think looking back, some of my earliest sparks of joy was, and this continues through my life, is teaching. Like when you see something click for somebody, I started teaching martial arts and swimming lessons at a really young age. Like I was a teenager teaching kids younger than me. And the first time a kid would put their head all the way underwater and blow bubbles and they'd come up all wide eyed and they were like, oh, my God, I did it. And I'm like, yes, like I love, 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 have always loved when things click and somebody else has a win. That That is the coolest, especially when you get to see them and they light up. So Casey and I met at She Podcast Live in October in Atlanta, and she was the brave one that said yes to joining me in a hot seat about content planning, and it was so lovely to meet you there. I know what you do as a business strategist, but would you like to explain what it is that you do now? Yes, mostly through one-on-one coaching. I help newer online women business owners to kind of get all their stuff squared away. That first few years first few years of business can be so overwhelming and lonely and scattered and squirrel. And I help kind of take all of that. I help them take a deep breath and focus that and kind of plan both long-term and short-term on how to get the ball rolling the way they want it to in their business. My listeners <laughs> know that I got certified as a life coach. Then I got let go from a job. And then I was like, oh, this is perfect timing. Now I will be a coach and a podcaster. And about mm, nine months later, I was like, now the money's gone. And now I have to figure out something else. So I very dutifully went back to what I know, which is project management. And I got a nine to five again. And that was fine for another couple of years. And in January, I went out on my own. And now I'm fine and I've got it figured out. So um, (laughs) yeah, it takes a while. And that was the big missing piece. What do you see people coming to you about? What is the big missing piece for them? Patience. Patience is there's this perception of everybody online is an overnight success. And I just have Mm. to be really good at what I do. And I just have to have a beautiful website or a really curated Instagram and the money will start rolling in. Or like you said, like, having the certification, you might be the best life coach in the world, doesn't mean the money's going to start rolling in that fast. And so a lot of people six months in are ready to quit because mm-hmm. they didn't realize like this is starting the business. The starting phase is, can be like one to three years. And like mm-hmm. 90% of online businesses don't survive the first year. And I think they're expecting to be profitable in the first year. And the reality is if you can hit the end of the first year and be paying your bills for the business, you're winning. Um, I just (laughs) interviewed somebody on my podcast and it took her a full three years to replace the income that she left working full time in her business. And that reality and like, slow down, we'll get you there one step at a time. Yeah. I had even created a severance package for myself when I left that other job. So I had a little buffer that I then spent 
which is fine. That was what it was there for. Lessons learned. Uh, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. How do you make it into that end of the first year? That's like the biggest question ever. (laughs) Right. Um, It depends on the person. So I was already home full time. So for me, it was kind of there wasn't the transition of like leaving one job to come stay home. I was already home, but I needed an investor. My husband and I invested in the company. And then my mom is also an investor so that I could pay the bills. And it wasn't like coming out of our family income month to month, kind of give us that buffer. Some people it's like, you've got to keep the job and do the side hustle game for a while. Or some people it's leave the nine to five, go get a job as a coffee barista and build your business on the side of that. So you have part-time work, but like the bills have to be paid and you have to eat. That's number one. Number Mm -hmm. two is then how can we morph around that given your particulars to get you to where you want to be? Yeah. And I was grateful. I mean, I'm going to admit that it took a lot for me to embrace the gifts of what my longer running career in project management had been. Because I think I I hit the wall of like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) And then I'm like, but wait, like it, it pays well. It's, Mm -hmm. it's reliable. It's in need. I'm in the Bay area and with a tech background, it's, I could always go back to it. And that's a blessing because if for any reason I decided that this right now isn't what I want anymore, then I've got this thing. Right. So for for me, my first business was fitness coaching and I decided like, I don't want to do it full time because you end up doing the same thing over and over and over, but I still coach on the sides. I still teach boot camp once a week and I love the fitness thing. It gives me a little bit of cat, you know, a little bit of pocket money. If you have a skill that somebody is already paying you for, or that's easy to integrate a little bit, like I still do a little nutrition coaching once in a while. I don't advertise that, but if someone's like, Hey, can I give you 200 bucks and ask you some questions about food? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know? (laughs) So you don't have to like completely cut ties with the past to do the present. If they kind of can bleed into each other. Yeah. Do you see a lot of people that have that same thing where they feel like, no, I have to cut this off? Like, and now I was this and now I am just this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And more so with the f- nine to five. And at some level, that makes sense. A lot of those jobs or corporate jobs, once you leave that job, you can't do that thing. But there's still a lot of those skills that you could potentially carry mm-hmm. over. But yes. yeah, some people are trying to get away from an industry. And so there is that, like, I want out of this industry now. And it's like, <laughs> all right, like we can do that. It might be a little rougher to just completely cut off and dive in, but it's absolutely doable. I think that ties really nicely into kind of your overarching framework of the the pursuit of evolution. You want to explain how that process works or how you arrived at that framework? Well, those are two very big different questions. (laughs) So the short story, and I know we will come back to this, is I was wounded in Iraq um, in 2004 and I have Uh, post-traumatic stress, a brain injury, and some permanent joint and nerve damage. And I've had to do a lot to learn to live with that over 15 years. And then in more recent time, my husband and I went through some major infertility struggles and are living child-free, not by choice. Like we chose to stop pursuing treatment and move on life without kids. And I realized as I look back on that, it was originally deemed the seven life lessons I learned from being blown up. And I realized that to move through those things takes a different mindset 
and I've actually been able to create kind of seven steps. And now those apply to everything. I've applied them to my business. I apply them to launching a product, major life decisions, kind of everything can fit within these steps. And the pursuit of evolution being that we need to keep striving and we need to be excited about change and the opportunity that comes with change instead of dreading it. And we need to like lean into it and embrace it and like fully explore it instead of saying, but that's not what I want because with infertility stuff, like we ran out of options and that's not what I want. I don't want to not have kids, but through the pursuit of evolution, through kind of leaning into that. Now I see all of the amazing opportunities that I have by not having kids and being in a double income, no kid household, like, Mm-hmm. it's not better or worse. It's just completely different. And I have to be open to exploring that. Yeah, that's amazing. Another recent episode is with Jennifer Loudon, who's an author. And in her next book, she's talking about getting your bother on. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and it was one of those things. It's It's got a little nuance that's similar to what you're saying is around when something begins to bother us, what's our response to it and how those things, and I'm not saying these are simple bothers, right? And neither is she, but like the things that start to get under our skin and that cause the the hardships and the angst and all that, then become, as my friend Christy Tending would say, the grist for the mill, because then you have to work through it and know you might not like what the outcome is. I'm now I'm jumping through all these people, but Randy Pausch of like, it's, it's not the hand, it's how you play the cards. So Right. Um, exactly. And it's not always the big things like getting blown up or infertility, like yeah. even the little things like I have been sitting, I used to have a dropship t-shirt company and I shut it down about a year ago to focus on the business strategy stuff. And I just can't get the idea out of my brain and it just keeps niggling. And so like, I was like, screw it. We're reopening the t-shirt company. Like, I don't know when it's going to fit my schedule, but I have this thing that I just can't let go of. And so I'm leaning into it. We're going to try it again. I'm completely rebranded. It's actually all like infertility aimed, like sassy, sarcastic. There's going to be an element of infertility support, like within the community. I don't want it to just be shirts and like can't get rid of the idea. So let's, let's lean into it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens if I do Mm -hmm. it this way. Yeah. I love that very much. I love that you are exploring what is the next thing? Like, what does this mean for you as a, as a, person here on the planet and like how because it it changes you obviously in a deep way when mm-hmm. when that when fertility becomes a thing mm-hmm. that you're exploring when do the shirts come out the instagram is up and running the shirts are hopefully in the next week or two i'm going to start cool. putting some shirts back online I'll plug it real quick it's at the awkward infertile if you want to check I love it out it. okay yeah awesome thank you it's really what like, you want to make of it like I, I don't want to see myself as broken because I'm a disabled combat vet. I don't want to see myself mm-hmm. as broken because I can't have kids. Like I don't, we don't always get to control the outcome, but we get to control how we look at it. And right. that is sometimes more important than the actual outcome in my opinion. Yeah. That's really what evolution is. in so yeah. many different ways, how do you feel having that series of kind of steps of different evolution how do you apply that to business? Because I'm sure there's so much crossover of how you've experienced, like you said, things that didn't necessarily go the way you would have ever thought they might. I kind of broke it down into seven steps. And one of the first step is owning your story, whether that's like whatever brought you into business, what you love, what you're passionate about, 
like own that because if you're not passionate about your business, I'm not going to get want to give you money to do that thing. Like, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Think about the people who you are excited to buy from or the products that you're excited to buy. Like they own what it is they do and what they offer. One of the other steps is baby steps. When I was in like kind of the deepest, darkest pits of post-traumatic stress, mm. there were days that literally getting out of bed, taking a shower, putting on clean pajamas and crawling back in bed was considered a successful day. And when I could do that for days in a row, then it was taking a shower, putting on jeans and sitting in the living room. And then it was going to Walmart at two in the morning because I didn't like being around crowds. And so there was these, just these itty bitty steps, but every step got me one step further into recovery. And the same in business, like some days it's, you know, we look at the big thing, you know, I'm getting ready to launch a membership in January and you look at it as a whole and it makes me want to curl up in the fetal position and give up on life. And so I have to break it down super, super small. And so some days it's like, okay, I am going to outline the first five minutes of video one. And that's all I'm going to do today. And then I can go on with something else. And like, looking at those itty bitty steps, the baby steps being another one that I go back to a lot, especially in business. Yeah. I feel like people, when I've coached them about whatever it is that they're starting or wanting to begin, oftentimes it being a podcast even, is that they get so wrapped up in like the end goal that that becomes overwhelming and then they're not sure, like it just freezes them. And having had an experience with PTSD myself, mine was through the birth of my son and a very prolonged labor, but I can relate to that thing of like, it seems overwhelming that I would be at the stage where I could then even go out and get cupcakes. (laughs) There was a total meltdown in a parking lot over that. But like, but like the baby steps of, yeah, oh, I've got unclean pants. Like, this is good. But then the same mm-hmm. thing with the business is like, you don't have to get to the equivalent of going out and buying a dozen cupcakes. Right now, you just have to figure right. out how to get out of the house in your yeah. business or your life. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever like, it is. Yeah, the, the podcast, like, like pick set up an account on Libsyn or whatever, you yeah. know, listening platform. That's task number one. Don't worry about like, your 40th episode before you've even like set up the account and recorded your first or what happens when you get to be really big because who knows what that will even look like or if it'll happen or what big or success might look like maybe there's another baby step to find what success is right and like with evolution i'm fine like a lot of businesses where we start we get that clarity through action and where we start is often vastly different from where we end. When I first had the idea from a podcast is very different than what I do now in my podcast. And like my first business to what I do today, very different things. Like, and that's so like what I want to do, I could envision what I'd do with my podcast if it was huge, but also in the process of getting there, I might realize I don't, that doesn't align with my business or my ethics or my style or, you know, like, yeah. That could all change between here and there. So don't worry about it yet. Yeah. So do you build in steps where you kind of reassess? Like, is that on an annual basis? Or how do you make room for that change up if you? Sometimes it's daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It depends on the project. It, it, it's an ongoing, always checking in. The minute I start to feel off or feel pulled, like with the t-shirt company, like, that I, st- I have to stop and listen to that voice. And mm-hmm. 
some of that comes through. I do like quarterly planning. So when I sit down and do like my 90 day plan, there's a certain like, okay, what worked last quarter and what felt good and what felt bad? How do I bring that forward? And so a lot of times those evolutions will happen there. And sometimes it's just a, okay, this has been nagging me long enough. I am going to go do it or I'm going to stop doing it. And that's it. Pull the trigger. Yeah. I love that you like are mindfully making room to listen to the emotion and the feeling about it that you have about things. Because I think so many people just move forward saying, you know, maybe it's like a a guru or the hustle method or whatever told me to do this. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of blindly follow through on steps that are not making them feel good and are probably not making them much money. When it's like, I'm just doing things with no clear reason or like you said earlier on, no clear passion behind it, then it makes it really hard to sustain it. And I haven't found that's where there's any financial success. Exactly. Yeah. How do people get clearer on the things that they feel more passionate about? Because I think you also self-identify as a multi-passionate. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. I'm (laughs) just guessing as well by our discussion here. The backstory on me becoming a business strategist is my husband told me I wasn't allowed to start any more new businesses. So I started a business helping other people start businesses as a loophole for that whole thing. I love getting to tinker in other people's companies because I'm not allowed to do it myself. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how else to say it, but listen to it and then go test it out. So like with me with the fitness stuff, like I realized I love fitness and nutrition. I love learning. It's super interesting industry. So I went and started that and I dove headfirst and started a business. And then I was like, oh crap, I don't want to do this full time. Like, yeah it's kind of too much. And so for me that I adjusted course and kind of backed off, but it's something I'm passionate about. So I've never stopped doing it. I, I still coach on the side. And like, sometimes it's like, just go try. If you don't know what you're passionate about, go try a whole bunch of damn things like, mm-hmm. and, and find out. And eventually one of them will click or you'll find a whole bunch of them that click or you'll bounce around between them. Like there's no right or wrong. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. and. I know both from experience and talking to other multi-passionates and Emily Wapnick who wrote How to Be Everything. There's something also about one, looking for the mashup of like all those things that are the through line. But also the thing that was really freeing for me was not feeling like I had to get to the natural natural completion of something, meaning I don't know exactly what that means, but maybe I pick up something and I'm learning something from it, but it's okay to let it go when it's, I'm done with it. Like I don't have yes. to be done because I didn't become a professional flautist or something. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to actually publish the novel to no. enjoy writing or to yeah. find out that you don't like writing at that level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found that if you look back from all the way, I thought your question at the beginning about, you know, childhood what sparks joy is really interesting because this was something someone else and I don't remember who went kind of pointed back if you look at all of the things that you've ever done especially as a multi-passionate what is the common thread and I look at like woodwork you know I've done woodworking I've done the t-shirt business I've done coaching fitness coaching nutrition coach but like a lot of them there is a teaching component and there is a giving component. And I love seeing people learn and I love seeing them get something from me and be excited about that. And so it's like, whatever I do, as long as I make sure if I ever take a job that doesn't have a component that involves teaching, I'm going to hate it. It's a gift. I have to be teaching, coaching, giving at some level all the time. Yes. 
And I think we are very similar in that way. I have also not been totally clear with myself or hadn't been for a long time of what the the value, like if, if we get into value-based kind of directions, a la Danielle Laporte, like what, how do you want to feel and what's the value that's, a tied, that's tied or attached to that thing? Like teaching, I have a hard time really narrowing down. Is it that I, I like being seen as an expert? And I don't think it's that. But if I'm not allowed to be a consultant or a teacher or something in a role, then I try and force it in. I see, I watch myself do it. Like I can step back and be like, oh, oh, there it is. And it's not coming out well. And you can't, uh-huh. you guys can't see Casey, but she's totally nodding. We're both kind of like laughing about this. And then, so that's where I love being kind of this podcast consultant, marketing consultant role, because it lets me do the thing that I'm naturally going to do anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was a long road getting there to figure out that that's what was going on. Well, and I think we're at a really interesting kind of transition culturally mm. where yeah. traditional jobs are changing. Like our devotion, my company, my husband has been with his company 20 years this coming summer. Wow. And that is unheard of for my age, for our generation. Yes. But like his brother has bounced through several major companies to kind of continue to move up the ladder. And I made up my job. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> at some level, like business strategist is a thing. People know what it is, but like a lot of people don't know what I do. And I have to explain to them and they're like, so you work online. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you work with other people. Yes. And like, so there's this cool opportunity where we get to create, if you love producing podcasts and making, you know, and being a podcaster, you can now potentially make a living doing just that. Mm-hmm. And I think even 10 years ago, that was a totally different, you had to go work for a podcasting company. And now it's like, I can connect. I just had an interview yesterday with a gal in India, like time zones were kind of a pain in the butt, but we made it work. And like, nothing stops me from connecting with anybody. And therefore I can do whatever I want with that in that format. And I see that you kind of embody this, like I can do what I want spirit. Like, I think that's just a natural component to you. Do you think that was something you showed up here with, if you will? (laughs) Yes, I lost it for a lot of years and I have had to fight to get that back. When I was younger, when I graduated high school, my mom got me a display case for my shot glass collection, even though I didn't drink when I was that age. I like collecting shot glasses, they're pretty. And the little plaque at the bottom of it said, it's all good. And that was Mm -hmm. for a lot of years, my life motto. And it's like, cool. I'll figure this out. I want to do this. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And like, I'm going to pursue my own path. And if society tells me otherwise, then I'll tell them where they're wrong. So where do you think that people get stuck along the way? Because I think it was clear to me after I figured it out that, yeah, entrepreneurship is probably a great route for me. But I think there's a lot of messaging around the shoulds of like, we should work at a nine to five. Like, I don't know that my family even still totally understands it that I don't want to be in an office building. I don't know. Where do we get stuck? Do you think a lot of people that get stuck thinking I can't be an entrepreneur because the shoulds are too big? Yes. The two things that hold people back are the shoulds and the fear. So Mm -hmm. I should work a nine to five or I should hustle. If I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I should be hustling 24 seven and then they hit burnout and they don't survive that first year. Like, so the societal expectations of what a job should look like and how we should provide for our family, I think is a huge one. The other one is fear. And like, we are biologically, anthropologically designed 
to stay in the status quo. Fear means something bad is happening, which means we're going to die, which is not what's happening anymore, but that's still how our brain processes those emotions. And so quitting your job to go do this other thing, even if you have already been doing it and have made the money and there's not even that financial risk, like our brains panic about that. And especially when you combine the fears with the shoulds, it's complete lockdown. And yeah. so you have to have the, the excitement, the passion, the drive, something, the kick in the butt that will get you over the fear. And mm-hmm. then you can kind of work around the should. I like that a lot. It also reminded me of uh, a friend who was a project manager and still is. So hi, if you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> but who said something about, I can't believe you're doing this because you have no safety net, which could have made me freak out. But I was like, hell yeah, I don't have a safety net. Who need like at this point, I'm like, right. wait a minute, who needs a safety net? Like it was uh-huh. it was I, I could almost watch myself in that situation have a totally different response because right. the old Paula would have been like, Oh crap, there's no safety net. And now I'm like, who needs one? Go get them. Right. Like it's just yeah. a very well, different reaction. And and my argument to that one, because I hear that a lot, like, well, once I have saved X thousands of dollars, then I'll quit my job and launch my business. I need a safety net. Yeah. Like really, what is the worst case that's going to happen? Like you were smart enough that when the money ran out in the life coaching business, you went back to work. Yeah. Keep coaching and lose your house and try to coach from your car. You went and got a job. And like, that's where I said, like, go get a job as a coffee barista. The the safety net is your own brain. You're not going to screw yourself in this process. So if the no. whole thing's a complete failure, yeah, you might have some credit card debt, but you can go get a job somewhere and it's okay. Yeah. So take We've all job. been figuring these things out. Well, and it's interesting yeah. too that I took the the safety net thing to be like, I don't have a team behind me doing any of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I let's be honest, like we have an editor, we have a copywriter, we have a VA. Like there's, I mean, I don't know who thinks I'm doing this all by myself because I'm not, but there's a team. But I think maybe that's another like kind of misconception is that somehow it's dangerous to be out here, maybe from a liability stand, not necessarily that anyone's going to sue you, but like, right. how are you going to do that if somebody above you isn't helping like bring in the business and decide who does all the work? And I don't know. It's, it was just a very interesting. It, and it is like, I think that's another kind of one of those shoulds. Like it's another mm. cultural, like I do everything myself. I don't have a VA. I don't have a team. Um, Like that's my goal for 2020 is to hire out my podcast editing and Mm -hmm. show notes, but like I do it all and that's okay. Like that's, I have adjusted my business expectations accordingly because there's hours I'm spending doing editing that I could potentially be doing more profitable things, but I'm just not there yet. And that's fine. And like, yeah, you know, I don't have to go to work at eight o'clock if I don't want to. And like, there's a lot of weird psychological stuff I see that screws people in that realm of like, well, I'm the boss and I get to do it the way I want. And Mm -hmm. that can be really good and really bad if you're not careful. I guess it could. I mean, you probably already know I'm thinking of it's your own damn show and you can do whatever the hell you want with it, which is the first rule of podcasting. But I think there's something there. You're right. Is that freeing or is it frightening? It's probably a little, I always take it as freeing. Yes. I guess we're, we're very conditioned. You think about all of school, we're taught you show up at this time, you leave at this time. And when you graduate, you're going to go to this place and do this thing. And then you're going to go to this place and do this thing. And we have just burnt that all down and we're doing yeah. something different. And we've never in my life have I been taught 
the map for being an entrepreneur. And I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs. Like this Do was you? a given. Yeah. My dad ran his own insurance agency for a while. My brother paid for most of college doing handyman work. My mom has run an incredibly successful business doing, I don't really know what she does. Um, <laughs> like, it's super high tech and she's amazing at it. Some sort of consulting and she's amazing at it. Literally award-winning in what she does. Yeah, that's awesome. When I think about it, nobody actually ever taught me how to be an entrepreneur. I just knew it was what I was going to do. Hmm. Yeah. My story there would be dad worked at the same larger corporation 20, 25 years. He was at what is now Target in headquarters. Multi-passionate, clearly, because he was in HR. But before that, he taught philosophy at the Air Force Academy. Oh, wow. It's interesting, though. That was not hardwired. There was a lot of ideas of like, oh, we could do that. We could like clearly lots of ideas always bubbling up that we never really grabbed onto and went any one direction with. But but the path would have been like you get into a business and you stay there and Mm -hmm. there's safety. And that was important. I don't really like safety so much. Apparently not. (laughs) Come to find out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do you want to share any of like the big things or or even some little things that people could look into if they're like, yeah, you know, I really I like what you ladies are saying, but I'm still terrified. Like, what do they do? What do they do? Pick a baby step and start. Like, I I know that sounds super simple, but like, if you really, really don't know, like, call me and we'll talk about it and I will help you pick said baby step. But like, If you want to open, so this was actually an example in a Mel Robbins book that I listened to, but it was a great example. Like if you want to open a wine store, go get a job at a wine store and see if you even like working at one or go to some small classes and learn more about wine tasting. Like you don't have to do X giant thing to start. I didn't necessarily have to start with the podcast. I started by guesting on other people's podcasts and realizing I liked that format of media. Yeah. Go take classes and do the entry level. Don't like we were talking about earlier, don't worry about the end step yet. So pick a super basic, whatever this, whatever the smallest, most accessible starting point is mm-hmm. and dip your toe in that and see what happens. And sometimes that's actually, sometimes that's just saying it out loud. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, the, the first time I, you know, my, my poor husband, when we met, I was in grad school and that the plan was that I was going to be a therapist. That's my education. That's what I was doing. And on our honeymoon, we'd literally been married less than 24 hours. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to quit my job and start my own business. I don't think I had ever mentioned entrepreneurship to him before. And I was like, Hey, here's this big piece of information you should know now that we're married. That's awesome. Um, and and he rolled with it. And it was like, okay, how do we start to do that? And I was like, first of all, I just had to say it out loud. And then we could start the conversation. And then he could help me find the pieces to put into place. And then, and then, and then, and then. And so sometimes just, what's the thing that you keep thinking about? Say it out loud to somebody yeah, and see what happens next. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. It's also interesting as multi-passionates just to do one of the passions, meaning like I at one point realized I had not been involved with drama or dramatic arts in a really long time. And that's one of the things I really loved in high school and college and always. And I went back to to just take an acting class and then I started Mm -hmm. doing improv. And another turns out moment is like improvisational stuff is pretty great when you're asking questions all day. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a really great one to be able to learn to trust yourself in Uh any situation and just ask the next thing that comes to mind. 
and not be afraid if it fails. <laughs> Sometimes right. these questions are like, what? And yeah. then I just, we delete those out. Exactly. So do you want to share, what do you see is the difference between growth and evolution? So I think a lot of us are really good at growing, which is staying within the same thing, but kind of doing more of it. So growing the podcast from being a podcast guest to being a podcaster to being a podcast mm-hmm. editor, or in my TEDx talk, I mentioned yeah. uh, change in my religion after I, I went from being religious to being an atheist after mm-hmm. my experiences in the military, like there was a growth and then an evolution. So when I came home from Iraq, my faith as I had been raised in it didn't make sense anymore. And so I started studying more and I started researching other religions. I went to a Buddhist temple for a while. Like Mm -hmm. I took in all of the religion looking for growth and answers. And then the evolution came over the course of years. I was like, nope, I don't want any of it anymore. And so the evolution was completely changing paths and Mm -hmm. walking away. And so to me, that's where like, I think we're good at growth. And as a society, we talk about growth a lot. And that is, that's great. We need growth. Like I'm absolutely not saying you need one or the other, but like growth to me is staying within the same thing, trusting it more, getting better at it, getting bigger with it, in being more ingrained in who we are. I am an entrepreneur. I'm not a small business owner. Like I am an entrepreneur, like at my bones. And that is a growing process. The evolution being, if I were to go back to a corporate job and give up on being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, which would never happen. Bad example. But the, the evolution where the thing changes for me, learning to the growth of identifying that I have post-traumatic stress and understanding what that means versus the evolution of embracing it. And now I teach it and I publicly speak about it. And I'm very yeah. open about my experiences. Like there was a lot of growth in learning to live with what happened to me. The evolution being in flipping it back and pushing it back in its own face and taking it to a whole new level. There's so many good nuggets in there because it feels like with both, is there a sense of acceptance? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I really appreciate the growth piece of kind of taking the moments or months or whatever years to look at something and say, does this still fit because I think especially with something as big as religion, my background being religious studies, it's that's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a journey because yeah. we get born into usually mm-hmm. a system that is very defining and that is very closely wo- interwoven to who we are. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of identification of this is who I am and my family is and this is what we believe. So I think that's amazing that you were able to hold it all out in front of you and say, but is this really what I believe? Um, Right. Yeah. And had actually been researching seminaries. My plan was to be a career chaplain in the military. Oh, wow. And like, so it was like, people like, how'd you do that? This was like a five or six year process. And once I knew that's the path that I was changing to the evolution that I was taking and evolving away from religion, then there was still like, Gosh, I think it was a year, year and a half before I actually said the word, like that I'm a humanist before I said that out loud. And Mm -hmm. it took me another couple of years to be able to say that I was an atheist because like I had to then grow into this new thing. Like I've made the evolution, but now I have to grow into it. And now I have to figure out how it fits in my life. And now I'm doing another round of growth where I'm like all of the coaches that I work with, like my favorite coaches they all have some level of like woo woo and 
I'm like, okay, this is, they're all doing better in business than me. There's something here I'm missing. And as a good skeptic, I think I have to go through trial and error. So I'm like, all right. So like, I'm exploring some kind of woo stuff, some of the crystals and Oracle cards and reading some books about Buddha and brain structure. And like, cool, let's go down this path. Like, does that mean I'll evolve and change? No, maybe, who knows? But my growth in what I believe and how I interact with the world, this is the next step. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's also the similarities of our, it's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, so part of my religious studies journey was at Yale Divinity School, which is a seminary. So I was a master of arts in religion. So not, not, you know, uh, what ordination track I was. This is just (laughs) an academic (laughs) pursuit, which no, it wasn't. (laughs) What is really an academic pursuit? But yeah, it's, it's funny because there was a lot of growth and evolution in that. I thought I wanted to teach religion. And I mean, maybe in my own way, I kind of am. I don't, uh, you know, it's a mindful choice not to really bring in my own distinct beliefs here. I really love that you're just holding space and like letting it, it be whatever it's going to be. It will be. If somebody wants to find out more about you, where can they find you? And yeah. Two best places to find me are my website, which is caseyjordan.com. And Jordan is spelled J-O-U-R-D-A-N. Every time my husband does something annoying, I'm like, I'm going to change my last name and spell it right. <laughs> it's, it's a common last name with a weird spelling, but J-O-U-R-D-A-N or Instagram, Casey.Jordan in spelling. I'm on Instagram quite a lot. I love chatting with people, pop into my DMs. I love hearing from you. And I will link up on both of those. And do you have anything that's like coming up that you want to share or programs you're going to be doing? I am getting ready to launch a membership in January. It's going to be half Instagram course, half business building skills. I'm oh, partnering. Yeah. yeah, I'm partnering with a really good friend of mine who is kind of my unofficial Instagram coach. And she'll be teaching Instagram. I'll be teaching business skills. You'll have coaching access to us. Um, it should be a fun, fun thing for a really killer price aimed at newer businesses who don't have a lot of money to be investing in things like that. I love it. I saw that on your site and guys, yeah. it looks awesome. And I think a really lovely way to start because it's so hard to level up in more than one social media. It oh, seems like you. a really cool class. We kind of already talked about this, but let's see if you, if you have a more nuanced answer about it, but what advice do you have for someone who wants to bring their own dream into the world? Start. <laughs> <laughs> yes. P- pick a point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's no right or wrong starting point. If you keep thinking about it, you have to give it a try. That part, that part right there, especially when that idea keeps coming back to you. Like, that's the thing. It's like the Liz Gilbert, like it's playing with you. It wants yes. to come into the world. And and maybe it turns into a big thing and a business and maybe it fizzles out in three weeks. Like, but if it keeps coming up, it's coming up for a reason. Try. Yeah. Explore it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Mm, Number one is just be nice. The world is really hard and all of us have some sort of trauma or garbage that we're dealing with. So whether it's holding the door open and smiling at people all the way up to sending cards and care packages and whatever, like be nice. Number two is kind of what we've been talking about this entire time. Like find what fires you up and go try it. Mm -hmm. Go 
figure out how to add more of it to your life. And this doesn't apply necessarily to running a business, but like if you love baking, stop thinking, like stop thinking it's selfish to take a Saturday afternoon to just bake. And even if you give all the cookies away, like if you love doing a thing, you have to have it in your life because that's life is like we have to find some fun and some joy. So find the things that make you joyful and freaking put them in the schedule. <laughs> um, and then this kind of ties into that one. The third one is boundaries. I think this maybe sounds weird, but so there was a study done about kids. So there was a school that was right on the playground was right on a busy street. And the kids, they watched these kids play and they always stayed really close to the building and they always kind of played small, like they didn't play kickball. They were always very kind of constrained in their play and there was no fence. So there was this, you know, fear of ending up in traffic. And so then they put up a fence, they put up a boundary and now the kids played kickball and they played big and they ran fast because they knew exactly where the line between safe and danger was. And like boundaries give us so much more freedom, which seems so backwards. So if you want to do more baking because it makes your life more joyful and then taking cookies to work makes everybody at work more joyful, you might have to set the boundary that like on Saturday afternoon, you are turning off your phone, your husband's going to take the kids to the park, whatever it is. And like, you're making the cookies and that's how you start creating more space for more joy. I love it. Especially the boundaries one. First, I don't think anyone's ever brought it up. Yes. <laughs> uh, at this point, that's that's a that's little bit good. rare. But also, I totally agree. And there's so, like, creative teams even that I've worked with in advertising, when you tell them the full creative brief, they actually get more creative yeah. because you've told them what the sandbox is. And then they love it. Thank you so much. It's been such a treat having you on the show, Casey. Yes, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about this episode, including links to the things that we've talked about, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can search for this episode right up there in the right-hand corner of the website, and you'll find it. While you're on the website, I know you're going to want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things. It's where I take a look and give you guys the behind the scenes of what I'm really thinking about with each episode, including the inspiration, intention, and action, along with the choices that you can make in your own life to bring some of the things that each guest or I share into your everyday life. So it's a lot of fun. You can find the sign up for that off the homepage or within the show notes of every episode. And I would love to connect with you. I hang out a ton on Instagram where my handle is jumpstartyourjoy. You can also find the Facebook page for this podcast at jumpstartyourjoy. So I hope you guys will come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. Joy.